Hey y'all, Peaks here. I want to invite you to come play virtual Seinfeld trivia with me on October 23rd at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This is an exclusive trivia match just for our listeners and followers, hosted by On Location Tours. Tickets are $12, and the winner will receive a prize pack from On Location Tours. Check this episode's show notes on your podcast app for the link to sign up. The Other Side of Darkness is brought to you in part by Tweed's Cafe of North Bend, Washington, the real-world site of the Twin Peaks Double R. Stop by in person at 137 West North Bend Way for a slice of cherry pie and a damn good cup of coffee. And follow Tweeds on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Tweeds Cafe. Welcome to The Other Side of Darkness, an episodic Seinfeld parody story that follows Jerry, George, Elaine, and Kramer on a dark and mysterious journey inspired by the work of David Lynch. The Other Side of Darkness is produced by Sign Peaks. I'm Jesse, also known as Sign Peaks, your host and narrator. You're listening to phase one of this podcast in which I'll be speaking with cast and crew members from Seinfeld and sometimes Twin Peaks, sharing their stories and memories from the show. Phase two, the series itself, begins later this fall. This episode is brought to you in part by one of my favorite pages, Daily Dale Cooper, your daily source for Twin Peaks fan content, photos, and artwork. Fun fact, they were one of the first fan pages to give Sign Peaks a boost in my early days, so this podcast probably wouldn't exist without them. Follow them on Instagram at Daily Dale Cooper. This week's guest is the legendary Jonathan Wolf. Jonathan and I spoke last year about how he came up with the iconic music for Seinfeld 30 years ago, which you can hear in my episode from August 14th. We got back together to do a deep dive into the tracks he curated for the official Seinfeld soundtrack, which was released this summer by Water Tower Music, and features over 30 classic tracks from the show. Seinfeld, the official television soundtrack, is available now on all major streaming platforms. After the interview, stick around for this week's featured guests, Star Madman and Brian Sangmeister. Now, here is the great Jonathan Wolf. Mr. Jonathan Wolf, good to see you. How are you doing today, sir? It's great to see you again, Jesse. I'm doing fine. Happy to be here. <laughs> good to be here. So uh, for the folks listening, uh, Jonathan and I actually spoke um, a little over a year ago uh, for another podcast that I do, a parenting podcast called Dad Splaining. And uh, we talked a lot about the origins of the Seinfeld theme as well as about uh, Jonathan's life as a parent. Um, but I am excited Jonathan, to uh, dig a little deeper, especially now that we've got our hands on the soundtrack for real, which is something that as a lifelong Seinfeld fan, I didn't know that I'd ever have the chance to do that, to have all those tracks. And I've been listening to it nonstop uh, since I bought it a few weeks ago now. Uh, congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you. You know, I've done, I was the composer on 75 primetime network TV series, but this is the only soundtrack that I've ever wanted to do. Wow. And it's the it is the only soundtrack I've ever done. So yeah. I'm really happy that that Seinfeld soundtrack is out and available for uh, me and for you. Oh yeah, and it's I mean I can tell you it's one that fans have been asking for for years. Like I you know on the the forums and the the Reddit pages and all that like every once in a while something comes up, why isn't there a soundtrack? Why don't we have something available? I mean for really for I I'm not just saying this because I'm a fan, the most iconic uh, sitcom music, in my opinion, in TV history. And it's a blast to listen to. Um, I mean, you know, just the individual variations on the theme, but then also the specific stuff that you created for 
specific needs in the show, you know, individual episodes, the Jerry show theme, Kramer's pimp walk, um, you know, the Rochelle, Rochelle musical sweeping theme. It's just, it's also good. Yeah. Warner brothers was really good about it. The label is called water tower music. And they asked me to create the playlist. And now so many years have passed since those production years that now I view the show and the music differently, kind of as a fan. So the only music that I included on the Seinfeld soundtrack album was, first of all, music that was featured audio that played a memorable role in the comedy and is instantly recognizable as an identifying signature for a Seinfeld fan favorite scene. Those were my parameters that I set up for myself. And uh, I'm glad that you're enjoying it. Yes. Oh, yeah, I, I absolutely am. And I'm, I'm not alone in that. Um, so I've got a, a few specific ones that I want to get into. But before I do, I'm just curious, out of all the music that you wrote uh, over the nine seasons of that show, what part of the soundtrack, which track do you think was maybe your favorite to record or to write? I love all my children. So it's <laughs> yeah. hard to pick a favorite from there. But as a fan, I'm kind of part. You mentioned Kramer's Pimp Walk. Mm -hmm. That was a particularly fun moment. You know, those Spike Ferriston scripts uh -huh. where he would spin a story that would build a piece at a time over the episode and finally take us to such an outlandish, outrageous place that really stretched the limits of believability for our characters. And this was a good example of Spike doing that, that Kramer became an accidental pimp. <laughs> and those moments in Spike's often allowed me the opportunity to throw in to the comedy with music. And so, yeah, those are some of my favorite moments and the pimp walk is one of them. Nice. Uh, so I, I'll, I'll just start with that one since we're already talking about the pimp walk. You know, I was listening back to it and, you know, without the laugh track and without the visuals, uh, you know, of watching it in the episode, I'm able to kind of focus more on what's going on in that track. And it's really cool because like, you know, there's the the old school hip hop beat to it. There's the the vocal samples that come in and that like the funky guitar chords that you got going on. But it's a totally different genre. Like you don't hear hip hop music on Seinfeld, you know, apart from that one really cool opportunity. So how did you go about shifting gears to produce something like so specific in a totally different genre? Well, the genre presented itself. You know, you got that happy dude with his boom box. Yeah. <laughs> Love that happy dude. <laughs> uh, the way I built that track, kind of the way that Kramer's ridiculous outfit grew one quirky wardrobe element at a time. He acquired them one at a time during the episode, and then it tops off with the hat uh -huh. in that scene. I built this piece of music one quirky element at a time. I started off with that kind of funky skitter beat that I created and added in the old school rumble bass and that jang jangly rhythm guitar that you mentioned, and the horns. And one at a time, I added in the same way that his outfit happened. Here, let's give a listen. 
Here comes the horns. And the bass. I top off with that siren synth. That's how I created that piece of music, one element at a time. As if this scene was not full of inappropriate, racially insensitive slurs, I added to it with that piece of music. Well, but let's be honest, it works. It works for that scene, that episode, and it's just, it's so memorable. Um, I mean, even just to be like, it's the post credit scene, you know, it's the kind of scene that, I mean, any other show would just put in something throwaway there that they don't count on people watching because they've changed the channel. Of course, that you'd never change the channel when Seinfeld's on. So you're obviously going to stay 100% up until the very end until you switch to the Castle Rock logo. Um, so I just think that's so cool that like it was the final cherry on top to that episode. And uh, thanks for uh, going into that with me. I think so, mm -hmm. I'm not sure because my memory, I'm an old dude and my memory's not always right. But my memory is that there was the, you know, big daddy turn to the right scene afterwards where they take his yes, mug shot. Right. That's absolutely right. The uh, I'm not a pimp. And that's Larry David going turn pimp. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of my favorite freeze frames of my end credits is mm -hmm. my name, music by Jonathan Wolf over Kramer the pimp. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. Good good catch there. That's yeah, fantastic. Um, so layering obviously in that track is something that is it's so and it's analogous to the way that the show is built and the way that the comedy is built kind of scene over scene and and the way that the divergent plots kind of weave back together um and it's something that it seems like you do that in pretty much every track um i want to talk now about the jerry versus newman chase track and i'm blanking on which episode that's from uh but it's i can picture it so clearly in my head running through the the apartment hallways and your homage of course to mission impossible how fun was that one to, to write and record I, I i loved all those chase scenes it became a recurring comedy trope mm -hmm. on seinfeld to have chase scenes and usually i scored them as if they were serious action cinematic movie scenes oh yeah uh this particular one yes i gave a nod towards Lalo Schifrin on on this one. And I, by the way, the episode was The Soulmate. Of course it was. Because yes. remember, the reason he was chasing her had to do with Pam. Mm -hmm. Pam. And by the way, that actress, Kim Myers, yes, I'm a Freddy Krueger fan. I admit it. So when uh, she came onto the set, I too had a crush on Pam. Oh, man. Wonderful. That uh, same actress. Yeah, yeah, that that script is a Peter Melman script, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was fun, and he didn't mind slapsticky, silly stuff for his scripts. Let's uh, let's see if I can find it. We'll mm -hmm. give it a, a little listen here, since Water Tower Music has given us permission for that. Elevator doors. I even included some of the Seinfeld bass 
in there just for that moment where they're lumbering up the steps because they're both exhausted. So thanks for noticing that. It's a fun track on the album. Yeah, and that's the best part, like the way you're able to kind of weave the Seinfeld like signature slap bass back into that to like really kind of tie it all back. You know, yes, it's an, like you said, you're treating it seriously, but there's still, you know, the way that Seinfeld is never without a very slight wink to the audience, you know, breaking that fourth wall, just the tiniest bit, bringing it well, back. The, uh, and the, that I had to, I couldn't have a whole album of chase music. That'd be right. ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But I did, I did include my favorite of the serious chases this one which is the cable guy mm-hmm. yep chasing kramer, kramer in guy. the cadillac part two mm-hmm. oh yeah no that's that's one of my favorites as well um uh, i gotta ask you jesse are mm-hmm. you hearing that okay it's hard yes. for me to tell over zoom okay good yep i hear it 100 that's the reason i'm not talking is because i'm just enjoying it <laughs> yeah uh and you know of course walter orkowitz mm-hmm. o- Olkowitz, yep was a brilliant mm-hmm. guest cast for that and yep. you know so in that i believe i uh, was uh larry and jerry mm-hmm. wrote that script so yeah I, so. I, I like that episode in general that at the end of that episode you talked about music taking us through the end credits mm-hmm. there were the end of that episode uh. you impeached mm-hmm. morty seinfeld leaves del boca vista yep with regal dignity Mm-hmm. And I treated it seriously. Seriously, yeah. That uh, yeah, I scored it as if yeah. it was a somber moment. Mm-hmm. It builds to the end. Yeah. Hmm. Love it. I knew that I had a long, long stretch of time mm-hmm. there for that piece of music. So I let it build slowly. Uh, what a, It was kind of a neat, funny moment for us. And that plays into yet another recurring comedy trope on Seinfeld, and that was movie pastiche mm-hmm. oh, scenes yeah. and movie spoofs, mm-hmm. which often I got to throw into. Yeah. That was, you know, that was a fun part of my job. And there are a couple of those on the soundtrack album i'm sorry i don't mean to be taken over the interview you had questions for me i I was i mean hey i this is i mean my role here is just to kind of let you go and like mine the information and so if you're diving and and dodging and and, you know paving new roads that's totally fine with me because one of the things that i don't even think to ask yeah one of those movie spoof scenes Mm -hmm. which was really a very odd scene for seinfeld was Peterman in the Burmese jungle. Oh, yes. In the cave in that scene, Mm -hmm. evocative of Apocalypse Now. Mm -hmm. It was so weird and so otherworldly that I scored it using weird otherworldly instrumentation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
assassin. So, yeah, so I was always happy to throw in on those movie spoofs. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, then let's just roll right into uh, the great uh, montage track that we've got here on the soundtrack uh, that includes, and I think this is actually two separate tracks, but I, I bundled them together because I listened to them back to back. Checkmate, Channel, Death Blow, Blimp, <laughs> and The Pain and The Yearning which that is so much fun to listen to because if you close your eyes and try and forget that you're listening to the Seinfeld soundtrack, it just sounds like you're listening to cues and movements and themes and transitions from like an actual, I don't know, Spielberg, Robert Zemeckis, 90s, like Hollywood blockbuster. Um, So that's, I love that one so much because it's actually, like you said, serious, like moving music. Well, fictitious productions was also a recurring theme in Seinfeld episodes. Mm -hmm. Uh, We went to the movie theaters a lot and these are movies that are heard but never seen. So the entire production of the movie was on me Mm -hmm. to create the film score that would describe the movie. So yeah, those, those, I really wanted to include those. Here's a sample of that. they had to allow for dialogue also to Mm -hmm. come through. So they were usually sparsely scored, but I, again, I treated them like I was scoring major motion pictures. There were also some funny fictitious productions. Well, like the Jerry show. Well, of course. Yeah. That's, uh, oh my gosh. I have, I, I love it so much for the way you treated it. Um, that's one of my favorites on the on the soundtrack um, because <laughs> it's like I, it's the anti Seinfeld theme. And it's like it's got that sort of late 80s, early 90s vibe to it. It's got the the sassy saxophone. Um, it's it's just and it also like would not work with Jerry stand up the way that your real Seinfeld theme works so well with Jerry stand up like it's total bizarro world jerry theme music uh, how did you how did you do that uh i ran into larry charles in a hallway and said so larry i i hear that in we're gonna actually create a main title for the jerry show what do you got in mind for the music and he just said this is generic happy silly sitcom theme uh-huh. like friday night miller boyette stuff and i went I, I, Captain, you got the right guy for that because, yeah. you know, during the 80s, I created a lot of that kind of music. Mm-hmm. I'm guilty, but <laughs> not for Seinfeld, of course, until right. this episode, which gave mm-hmm. me an opportunity to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, OK, so take me to the context of that then when you're when you're writing that. What was that? 93, 94 ish, I think, is when that episode was produced. And okay. at that time, well, you know, we'll just say season four. Were you guys aware not only of how big the show was because it was climbing in the ratings, but were you aware of how I guess like it's iconic now? Today, we know that the Seinfeld theme is iconic. Did you realize that back then that like, OK, People know and identify the music so much with the show. We need to do the total opposite of that 
for this? Or was it just like, we know that music uh, from this time for your, you know, your standard uh, throwaway sitcom is kind of cheesy. Let's go that direction. Yeah. Now, Larry Charles was completely aware that there's, it should be in a completely different universe than the actual Seinfeld music. Mm -hmm. Just like, you know, the cast for the Jerry show was in a different, you know, there were different actors for it. So it was to be made clear that this was spoof. This was fictitious. Mm -hmm. I love that in that episode, uh, Mariska Hargitay auditioned for the role of Elaine Mm -hmm. on the Jerry show. Oh yeah. I did ask him, you want stupid lyrics for this? I was going to ask because here's the thing. The music sounds lyrical. Like the, your melody sounds like it could have easily had uh, some sort of, you know, we're all friends and we've loved each other and we learn a new lesson every week. You know um, what? So you asked him, was there, did they float that possibility and then just say, no, forget it. No, that would have been wrong. Anyway, the focus of the, that moment would have been distracted by lyrics. But since you brought it up, Jesse, Uh yes. Let's do it. How about if it becomes a thing? We'll call it the the Jerry Show theme lyric challenge. Yes. And Seinfeld fans can make up their own lyrics for this. Here, I'll set the bar nice and low. I'll go first. Can we do that here? Yes. All right. Never before heard before. By the way, the lyrics don't have to make sense. Let's give this a try. Well, Biff and Jerry wrote a script. Not that there's anything wrong with it. You're saying you want a piece of me. I'll drop you like a bag of dirt. Well, happy birthday, no such thing. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. I got a lot of problems with you people. Fake, 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 fake. How am I doing, Jesse? Oh, my God. Schmoopy, no soup for you. Double dip, it's not you, it's me. Sweet Fanty Moses, Hoochie Mama. Super terrific happy hour. Yada, yada. Oh, okay, God. Seinfeld fans, it's your turn. Round of applause. Oh, my God. I, I, I'm gonna <laughs> that was terrible. But, oh, hey, geez. it's fun. Let's. The, the whole point of the album is fun. Yeah. You know, there are some soundtrack albums that are, you know, important. And they have artistic achievement and film score suites that are momentous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's none of that on our soundtrack album. Oh. My magnum opus... <laughs> is a big daddy pimp walk mm-hmm. it's and just for fun yeah yeah well and we're so glad that it is uh that it's yeah thanks for letting me do that you can cut that all out if you want if it was terrible well no i'm gonna cut it out and i'm gonna make it the promotional video to promote this episode it's it's i mean that's candy i love now. it <laughs> yeah and and what i said was true i done mm-hmm. we just did that for the first time you're the first person to ask for it so mm. hey maybe this will start a thing please i hope it does my goodness Okay, so you can do that with all the, you can do that with, uh, you know, Scarsdale surprise. Yeah. I mean, Rochelle, Rochelle already has lyrics, but, uh, you know, I mean, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's Scarsdale surprise. That's another one of those fictitious productions. Yeah. Yeah. It's a 
fake award show, fake producers. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorites. We watched the sun yeah, rise it was and rises. F- Manelli? No. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Love it. Oh, my God. Jonathan, I want to, since we just covered the anti-Seinfeld theme, uh, the bizarro Seinfeld theme, I want to switch gears now and really sink our teeth into the iconic Seinfeld theme song. So my listeners uh, will have heard in a previous episode of this podcast, the story that you told us last year of how you created the theme, uh, how you worked you know, with Jerry's stand-up tapes and showed him how uh, the music has a conversation with his stand-up and it and uh, how that it was it felt like music from mars you know um it was unlike anything else that was happening on tv at the time and it just worked so well um but there's a few ways that i want to kind of dig into this and break it down and kind of identify like the core of what made it so amazing and i kind of <laughs> listening to it i'm, I'm I, look I, this is exactly how i feel so i uh all right and, and i'm going to interrupt you for it. just a second because mm-hmm. You remember how Elaine asked, perhaps there's more to Newman than meets the eye? Uh-huh. You're thinking that perhaps there's more to the Seinfeld mm-hmm. theme that meets the ear, and the answer is the same. No, there's less. There's less. I will keep that in mind. <laughs> well, yeah, well, don't make me quone you. Oh, right, right, exactly, yeah. Well, okay, so tell me this, though. Um, part of what makes it so cool is the way that you kind of play with, and I use the word scale because I'm not uh, a music expert. Uh, so I'd, maybe that's the wrong term, but you kind of, you start off with a melody and Jerry, you know, throws out a few lines. You kind of go up the up the scale, you know, up the keyboard kind of, but you never really return to the bass, uh, you know, to your root note, I guess is what you would say, you know, maybe until he reaches the the final punchline of the standup bit, you know? And so I guess what I'm wondering is, did you design it that way to where the music is kind of, it's sort of a call and response thing. Is that like, is that, was that kind of the goal when you were coming up with those sort of bass walks? Well, the fact that I have migrating tonal centers is partially because I have a short attention span and I forget Uh. what key I'm in. (laughs) And that, that theme, the baseline is so simple and so basic. It was architected that way so that it would not require meter or four beats to the bar. Uh You wouldn't even require full phrases to remain intact as the Seinfeld theme. And that includes tonal centers. I can, shift and drift into different keys if I want and it's all part of the same structure and sometimes I would use modulations to telegraph we're getting into a new joke now Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or we're moving on in the monologue I was not necessarily answer and repeat answer and callback with Jerry it was more just filling in the blanks and punctuation for his jokes you know like a vaudeville drummer would hit rim shots yeah i use the the slap bass to do things like that and you are correct that it sometimes meandered in and out of different tonal centers Hmm. 
Okay. Well, I didn't have the vocabulary to uh, to articulate that, but you did, and uh, and thank you for kind of confirming my uh, illiterate suspicions there. Um, <laughs> That's okay. You're there are world class music journalists and musicologists, and I know who they are. You're not on that list, but you're doing fine. You jumped into the deep end as a tourist. Good for uh, you, Jesse. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, now, the slap bass, too, is uh, something that I listen, you know, watching 80s and 90s sitcoms, you don't see it until Seinfeld. And then what I've noticed, because I grew up in the 90s, was after Seinfeld, I heard it everywhere from Nickelodeon to UPN, uh, every different genre, every different audience. You wouldn't hear it in every show, but I, you hear a lot of the slap bass kind of returning. And I feel like you kind of maybe started that movement. But where did why did you choose that? instrument that tone to serve was it just because as a bass note it's you know it's it doesn't interfere as much with jerry's kind of nasal peak kind of thing well what you just said is true that it, its fundamentals are in an audio frequency range that don't interfere with his human voice so much yeah. but you know obviously <laughs> i did not invent slap bass that's no. been around for decades uh but it at the time it was it had not yet enjoyed celebrity status as a solo lead instrument. It was still right. buried in funk music and yeah. pop music. I just brought mm -hmm. it forward, illuminated it, did really weird things to the sounds, that to the samples themselves, so that it became more of a Frankenstein-engineered sample that I was tinkering with. And uh, I've been, the short answer is because it was funny. Mm -hmm. I like things that are funny. My job here was to create a sonic brand, not to create music. Yeah, exactly. And I bet you, I think you accidentally did create something musical that stood on its own. And I'll tell you that because growing up with musician friends, uh, I'll tell you that any one that I knew was a bassist, the moment that everyone finds out they're a bass player, the first thing they ask is, hey, play the Seinfeld theme for us. Um, I know I annoyed. Yeah, I, I, I'll apologize to your friends who are bass players now. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I mean, culturally speaking, it's it, you think of bass in this, you know, in this post Seinfeld world, you think of Seinfeld. I mean, at least that's my experience. Um, so, well, cool. Let's talk about yeah slap bass. There, upright mm -hmm. slap bass. I don't know, hundred years now. That's sure. been around, and it and it was there was something comical and quirky and unique mm -hmm. about the early days of Western swing and early swing jazz, where those bass players would thump and pop and slap yeah. those upright basses. Uh, rockabilly music was kind of built around that also. Mm -hmm. uh, there's Tejano music and gypsy music where slap upright bass is key mm -hmm. to the genre. And I always kind of like that. I mean, these things started long before Leo Fender put out the precision bass, which is sure. the first modern mm -hmm. electric production bass. Right. So, yeah, it's just kind of a fun thing that I built upon, uh, that I borrowed from, stole from, mm -hmm. and uh, made it the Seinfeld sound. I love it. Okay. That's, I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff that I, I wanted to to get into, you know, because um, I hear a lot of people talk about how great the Seinfeld theme is, and I agree, but I don't hear a lot of people getting into the the nitty gritty like that. And I, I thought that it deserved it. So thank you for taking the time to, to answer. You're welcome. Those. You know what I, you know what I hear a lot of people doing snoring right now, because I'm getting very boring like that. Trust me, that so, is not the case. 
you're, 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 yeah, the, the, uh, the whole technology of mm-hmm. sampling was in its infancy in the mm-hmm. late 80s, and I really, really wanted to use it more and more. I thought that was fun that you could create your own new instruments from any sound that you record and build music around it. And Seinfeld seemed to be a good opportunity for that. So those Seinfeld bass sounds were Frankenstein engineered from multiple sampled bass guitars using sample editing and compression and EQ and phase manipulation and gain staging. Now I triggered the notes using a keyboard controller Uh, A lot of nice folks viewing interview videos of me working are sometimes confused. Yes. And they think that's the actual source. Mm -hmm. No synth for you. I actually, it's funny. These amateur wonks argue with each other in the comment sections and sometimes argue with me. Uh Uh-huh. Claiming, oh, I have this synth and it sounds just like that. That must be what he used. And there are about 10 different manufacturer synths that people are absolutely certain mm-hmm. was the Seinfeld bass. Uh, and I'm serious. They argue with me about it. What's funny is I'm pretty sure I was the only musician in the room yeah. creating it. So it's funny that people are so certain right? Uh, that, you know, what they th- you know they think it was you know, like 360 systems or a Roland or a Korg or a Yamaha. Mm-hmm. Nah, these, these, at a certain level of production, which certainly none of these wonks have ever touched, we make our own samples. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And well, and I'll, I'll tell you too, um, on another level, there's a few minds uh, in the audience that you've just blown because I, I've known this for years since I, you know, saw some of your interviews, but I think a lot of people really do think that it was, that the theme was recorded each week on an electric bass guitar, which, you know, I don't think that it could have been the amazing thing that it was if it weren't for the way that you sampled those notes, but it does, I mean, you know, to the lay person's ear sound like a real electric bass guitar just being slapped away. So to me, that's an, that's an obvious fact. I've known that for a long time, but I think for a lot of your more casual fans maybe did not know that. So uh, I'm going to give them a minute just to kind of pick their brains off the floor. (laughs) Now, see, the thing is, I also get people who complain, well, why didn't you just do it on a... It's the best instrument for the job Mm -hmm. is the way I chose. I mean, I was doing 10, 14 series a week. Yeah. So I had bass players in and out of, you know, LA's finest studio bass players all the time. If I wanted it to be on an actual electric bass... It would have been. Mm-hmm. It's not a money issue. Yeah. It was, for me, a technical, musical, creative decision to do it this way. It gave me a lot more flexibility. Uh, and, by the way, often I wouldn't get that monologue until the night before mm-hmm. the mix. So there was not a lot of time to bring in musicians to do it. I wanted to be able to do it myself. Yeah. And uh, you can hear here. I'll I'll mm-hmm. play. The complexities involved uh-huh. in some of my transitions are superhuman. You know, no bass player could have done that, and that's right. somehow without knowing the technical reason why it bends people's ears to mm-hmm. hear that stuff. Yeah. So, uh, you know, what you just heard had. 
I don't know, three or four different sampled bases in one yeah. four second piece of music. Yeah. So that is one reason why I did that, because I wanted to expand the universe of what an electric bass could be mm -hmm. to represent Seinfeld. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what it reminds me of is if um if you isolate Paul McCartney's uh, bass lines from Beatles tracks, the way that some of it is just so, it's so complex. You're like, it did not need to be that complicated, Sir Paul. And yet in the mix, it makes the Beatles the Beatles. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying that you're Sir Paul McCartney um, because he would probably object to that because he doesn't think anyone else is Paul McCartney. Um, but it's it's that level of complexity that's like, does it call for that? Yeah, you know, the average person might not think so. But would it be Seinfeld without it? Nah. And by the way, I agree with Sir Paul on that fact. There is nobody else <laughs> like Paul McCartney. I mean, a living legend for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I'm a, I'm a big time Beatles fan and a solo Paul and, and Wings and, and all the rest. Um, but anyway, so I'm going to I'm going to try I'm going to wrap up my nerdery around the Seinfeld theme um, and just say thanks for for making it what it was and uh, and letting it do what it did. Um uh, yeah, I, I think that it's incredible and timeless. Creating a unique theme is not the real challenge for a competent screen composer. The problem is that in order to create something that's truly unique, like maybe a new species of music, requires breaking a few rules of convention. And in a world where there's an approval process, you know, the producers, the network, the studio, being in a situation where everyone involved is open to such risk-taking, that was unique. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's, I've asked other guests on this show, uh, on this podcast, what made Seinfeld so special. And um, Melanie Smith, who played Rachel Goldstein uh, in season five, her remark was basically that it was like that sort of once in a lifetime collision of all these different factors. You know, you had these talented writers that were focused on the quality of writing. You had the music, you had the showrunners, you had, you know, when it aired and what it was up against and the way that the actors kind of interacted, you know, it was very much, it wasn't one thing, um, but it was a lot of people who were serious about making something good. And, and like you said, breaking rules and conventions uh, in order to do it. Yeah, each of the department heads for Seinfeld was a Delta Force SEAL Team 6, highly trained, highly skilled professional. It was a Camelot era mm -hmm. of TV production. Like I said, I was on a lot of production crews. Yeah, uh, Seinfeld was special, and one reason was because of the high caliber of talent and creative and professional skills we had. Mm -hmm. on that cruise sheet oh yeah absolutely yeah, i liked and sometimes it came together in one scene for example you know it in uh let's see elaine himalayan walking shoes mm -hmm. think about that scene how the the set the design the lighting the cinematography the camera work the wardrobe Everything, the writing, of course, the audio, everything came together to make a really special moment. Yeah. That's one reason why I included it on the record. 
somewhere a child cries. A bastard, yeah. perhaps. Exactly. Mm. Very un-sitcom like. Oh yeah. Very unSeinfeld like. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yet all these departments came together and rose to the occasion and we had a nice little moment here. Yep. You know, my heartache, my back aches, mm-hmm. but my feet. <laughs> Oh my God! Thanks yeah. for and indulging me. Of in that course, little well, bit of nostalgia, but uh-huh. it goes to what we we're talking about. That it required, it took a village mm-hmm. to create moments like that. It yep. wasn't just, you know, me or the writers or the actors. It was everybody working together for those moments. Yeah, and well, and not only that, but the reason I wanted to slow down there was it. It also took NBC and the executives, like acquiescing to the idea that you could slow things down a little on a sitcom when the comedy called for it. And I guess Larry had to threaten to quit enough times for the (laughs) to get off of his back. Um, But that's one of those moments, you know, where you can take a few beats. You might not, uh, you might not hear that on another sitcom where you can treat things seriously and slow down and not have dialogue for three or four seconds. By by that time, that was season seven, the hot tub. We pretty much, were established well and the network stayed out of our way for the Mm -hmm. most part because they knew we were putting out good quality shows and fans seemed to like it Mm -hmm. but by the way larry did quit after that season (laughs) wow yes you're right (laughs) oh larry oh we love you so, um, John, the last track I want to uh, I ask just a side question about, and we won't spend a lot of time on it, because it's actually a track that did not make the soundtrack. And I wasn't even going to bring this up, but it's one that a lot of my followers on my Instagram page have messaged me asking about. And I just want to kind of set the record straight and figure out where this came from. So there's a, a scene in the bottle deposit where Kramer kicks Newman out of the mail truck and Newman's trying to thumb a ride. And of course, eventually he finds uh, the farmer and stays with them but there's there's sort of a sweeping cool jazz music that plays there the reason my followers ask me about it is because they're all david lynch fans and <laughs> half of them are like oh that's got to be a twin peaks reference you know he's giving a little nod to angelo Badalamenti there but knowing you know the conversation we've had and the way that you record music i know that you don't really do that with your seinfeld music you know specifically call out someone unless it's that you know like the case with uh the mission impossible theme so it's jazz there, but it's a specific era of jazz. Do you remember kind of putting that music into that scene? And what was the process of choosing that kind of music and recording it? Here's my memory of that, Jesse, mm-hmm. that I did it a few different ways, the, those sequences. Mm-hmm. And that was just one of them. I think I had time for that particular episode and yeah. uh, not a lot of other stuff to do for the bottle deposit. So I, I took my time and did it a few different approaches to that and my memory is is that i left it up to whoever was at the mix whatever exec producer was at the mix to make the choice on it Uh, i like that it was simple and kind of classic and plods a little bit it's a little bit heavy and awkward you know that bass what Mm -hmm. newman is right no i wasn't thinking by the way i i here's here's i'm gonna understate the obvious. Angelo Badalamente, I love his work. I love that relationship that he had with 
David Lynch. Uh, but no, that had no role in creating that music. I thought so. Okay. Well, thank you for, uh, for clearing the air on that one. Yeah. I remember on your Instagram or Facebook or whatever, I took a moment and commented about that relationship between Angelo and David Lynch. Uh, he's, he, Angelo's 20 years older than I am. Mm -hmm. So he came before me and all of those productions with David Lynch, Blue Velvet, obviously Twin Peaks, Mulholland Drive, On the Air, Hotel Room, Darkened Room, all of these productions together they worked. And that relationship, that creative, business, personal relationship that they forged, I learned from that and forged those kind of relationships for myself, I was really lucky to have those kind of relationships with a number of Hollywood's best directors, Jim Burroughs, mm -hmm. with whom I did Will and Grace and Caroline in the City, and The Stones and Good Morning Miami, Ladies mm -hmm. Man, Secret Lives of Men, Hudson Street, and director Jamie Widows, who I loved working with, Dave's World, Boston Common, mm -hmm. Can't Hurry Love, Camp Wilder, there's a bunch of them, Jerry Cohen, yeah, and Asad Kalata, Tom Sharonis. Mm-hmm countless series with those guys and it was from seeing composers who came before me and those relationships like by Lamente and Lynch. So absolutely. thanks for bringing them up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, glad to. And thank you for taking the time to to talk about those relationships. Um, Jonathan, the last question I want to ask you is um, I'll set the stage for the folks that don't know, Jonathan, you've been retired for about 15 years now. You got out of the game. And you've been enjoying family life uh, for the past 15 years, but that's not all you've been doing. Um, Jonathan is also on the lecture circuit with colleges, you know, going into schools and, and talking about what you did and, you know, what you learned and what your experience was. When we talked last year in the midst of the pandemic, which what we thought was the height of the pandemic, which was maybe first like the, the first molehill, unfortunately, is that something that you've also retired from or is that just on hiatus? And, you know, once we get the all clear, you're getting back out there and uh, indoctrinating our youths again. Uh, I have put it on hold until the world is safer for mm -hmm. travel. So I'm not doing in-person performances, I'm not doing corporate concerts or public speaking events, and I'm not doing college lectures. By the way, here's a useless factoid. I have lectured at every Ivy League school. Oh, hey, there's that another word? in your cap. Yeah, including the law schools at Harvard, Cornell, UPenn, Columbia. I know it's weird. I'm not a lawyer, but they keep <laughs> inviting me to mm -hmm. blather and prattle at these law schools. So man. I go and do that. That's cool. Oh, man, I like that. Yeah, my kids, you mentioned it's been 15 plus years since I retired mm -hmm. to be a full time dad. Uh, they're grown now. You're probably mm -hmm. good at math, Jesse. Uh, so they, when they all went off to college, it would have been weird for me to show up at their colleges and give out glue sticks and cupcakes. So instead, I showed up at their colleges and started giving guest lectures, and it caught on. Love it. That's so cool. Well, and and glad to hear that it's a hiatus and that you're waiting until, like you said, until the world's a safer place, uh, but that we will continue to hear from you in, in that capacity. So that's really awesome. Um, Jonathan, uh, I'm going to close out by giving you the floor, um, and I'll just set the stage this way. My listeners are across the board when it comes to how they got introduced to Seinfeld. Some of them 
watched it live in the 90s on NBC, you know, uh, must see TV. Some of them, um, like me, was a little too young for that, you know, maybe caught one or two episodes live, but really dug into it in syndication. Um, some of them are maybe just discovering it for the first time on Netflix or where it was before on Hulu um, and in the streaming age or with the DVDs. So, you know, you've got the young ones, you've got the kids, you've got the Gen Z's, the millennials, the Gen Xers, they're all listening and they're all here because they love the show so much and your music is an integral part of that. Is there anything that you would want to tell them? When I go to these college campuses, I often meet young students who maybe they weren't even born yet when we stopped making Seinfeld episodes in 1998. A lot of these young people, they have warm fuzzies for Seinfeld because they started watching it with their families, mm -hmm. with their parents, and that's how they got hooked on it. But some of them were first introduced to Seinfeld from the music in mashups. Yes. You know, internet mashups with artists and other movies and TV shows where they stick the Seinfeld music into it for comedic purposes. Mm -hmm. And then they, they what, what the heck is this Seinfeld music from? And that led them to Seinfeld episodes. Yep. Uh, so I'm really happy about that. Now, all of these mashups are unauthorized and unlicensed, yeah. but... Jimmy Crack Corn and I don't care <laughs> because it's sir, the music serves as an ambassador mm -hmm. for the show. Absolutely. And maybe it introduces the show to new generations of people. Mm -hmm. And it gives me some street cred with people of a certain age that my music is combined with Kendrick Lamar, mm -hmm. King Kunta, or mm -hmm. Limp Biscuit, Break mm -hmm. Stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Notorious B.I.G., Common mm -hmm. Thief. And there's a bunch of Kanye West ones. Oh, yeah. Some of them are really good. Those are ones that are actually good. There's a Smash, Smash Mouth All-Star mashup that I mm -hmm. think is really good. Yeah. Uh, some of them are not so good. Uh-huh. You know, that they, they, they seem forced, right. weird, you know, like mm -hmm. the Radiohead, My Iron Lung, or Evanescence. I haven't heard that Wake one. Wake Me Up Inside. The ODB uh -huh. is a little forced. The Vanilla uh -huh. Ice, Ice Ice Baby. <laughs> yeah. But... I'm happy that people are trying, that people mm -hmm. are still having fun yep. in creative ways mm -hmm. with this simple, basic, sophomoric piece of music that I created 30 plus years ago. It's mm -hmm. wild to me yeah. that it's still a thing. Mm -hmm. So it makes me happy in a word. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And that's, that's another thing I was going to touch on is that uh, it has inspired so many people either through tongue-in-cheek nods and references on television shows like Scrubs and even kids shows like The Fairly Odd Parents did it. I remember seeing that as a kid to, like you said, these internet age mashups. Um, you know, this podcast that I'm producing is going to have a story element to it. And there's a composer who is a big fan of yours and is finding ways to not copy, but be inspired by and interpolate a little bit and find ways to make it Lynchian um, with still sort of a very Wolfian, because uh, I'm going to coin that term, uh, twist to it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's one of those things that, uh, lives on. And, um, I'm also a big fan of, uh, Vampire Weekend covering the Seinfeld theme on stage at Lollapalooza. Uh, I've seen you share that video and it's a great, great one. I love that. You know, Ezra Koenig had me as a guest on his podcast, oh, no Time way. Crisis. Yeah. Oh, I, you know, that, it's just so weird that this old dude is hanging out with the young hipsters. 
No, it's, it's awesome. And I'll tell you, I mean, sometimes all you, you don't even need to hear the music to understand that there's a reference going on um, to see someone tweet a joke and then say slap bass at the end of it works so well uh, because it's a convention now that you created. Um, so it's, yeah, a, I think it's a cheap gag at this point. Come on, writers gag. do better. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, but you know, that's just, that's part of the way that Seinfeld left such an impression uh, uh, for generations to come. So you're in large part responsible to that. And I just want to close us out today by saying, Mr. Jonathan Wolf, thank you so much for your contribution to television history and to nerds like me. Jesse, this has been a super terrific happy hour. I'm so grateful that you reached out. And to all you Seinfeld fans, thank you for supporting us and believing in us. And I hope you enjoy the Seinfeld soundtrack album. Mm -hmm. And you're not just one of those people that throws out insincere thank yous. No, sir. When you say thank you, you really mean it. I do. Thanks again to Jonathan for talking with us. You can follow him on Instagram at Seinfeld Music Guy, on Twitter at Seinfeld Music, on Facebook at Jonathan Wolf, and at SeinfeldMusicGuy.com. He's also on TikTok, by the way, Seinfeld Music Guy. You can get Seinfeld, the official television soundtrack, wherever you get your music. This week's musical spotlight is a collaboration between Star Madman and Brian Sangmeister. Star Madman is an electronic music solo project written, performed, produced, and mixed by Amanda J, influenced by electronica, dance, and new wave music. Brian Sangmeister is an ambient artist known for dark cinematic compositions. You can find their music on all major streaming platforms. Now, here is Star Madman and Brian Sangmeister with Eyes on the Horizon.
Thanks for listening. Subscribe to The Other Side of Darkness so you won't miss the story once it begins this fall. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a positive rating and review on your podcasting app. Follow Sign Peaks on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok, and join our Facebook group. Visit our store at signpeaks.threadless.com. 50% of proceeds for the month of October will be donated to Wellspring Living, an Atlanta-based nonprofit that provides sex trafficking victims and those at risk with specialized recovery services through residential and community-based programs. And if you'd like to support this series, you can visit patreon.com signpeaks to get early access to episodes and exclusive merchandise. Intro theme by Patrick Edwards. Mid-show music by Ivor Boetz. Outro theme by Robert McDonald. All links mentioned can be found in this episode's show notes. The Other Side of Darkness was made possible thanks to the backing of over 100 supporters through sites like kickstarter.com. Here are just a few of those supporters I'd like to recognize. Alex Bootley. Sue Beth Warren. Joe Tank. Mark Davis. Hi from Austin. Dina Lean Hawkins, Adam Kerr, and Carrie Ann Williams. If you enjoy this podcast, you might also enjoy watching Owen Wilson, the first podcast dedicated entirely to everyone's favorite catchphrase-loving comedic actor. Hosts Jake Menez and Michael J. Teeter make their way through Owen Wilson's entire filmography, rating each movie, counting each wow, and bringing in guests in an effort to befriend Owen Wilson himself. Find Watching Owen Wilson on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, and at watercooler.com. You can also listen to Mike Dowd, the voice of Kramer on this podcast, on his own podcast, Welcome to Twin Speaks. Here's Mike and co-host Janine with more. Hi, I'm Mike. And hello, I'm Janine. And this is Welcome to Twin Speaks. We are a bi-weekly podcast exploring the weird and wonderful world of David Lynch's master hit TV series, Twin Peaks. We will be going episode by episode, really discussing the legacy of Twin Peaks that it's left for television and pop culture that maybe you've never heard before. And if you're someone like me, who's actually seeing it for the very first time, um, I welcome you to dive in with me with no spoilers as we go along and I avoid all the Google researching in what's to come with fresh eyes and fresh ears and bask in the wonderfully weird yes and if you've seen the show before you can see it through the first time through janine's eyes it'll be like it'll be like you're watching twin peaks for the first time so grab a cup of joe grab some donuts and some cherry pie and join us on spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and welcome to twin speaks the other side of darkness is written performed and produced strictly as a work of parody The Other Side of Darkness is not endorsed by Castle Rock Entertainment, Sony Pictures, NBC, Warner Brothers Records, Rhino Records, Lynch Frost Productions, Twin Peaks Productions, CBS, or Showtime. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Seinfeld, the Seinfeld logo, and all Seinfeld characters, story elements, and intellectual property are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective trademark and or copyright holders. The makers of The Other Side of Darkness make no claims directly or indirectly of ownership to any elements held by these trademark and or copyright holders other than original characters, story elements, and other intellectual properties created specifically by the makers of this podcast. Musical elements referencing themes and motifs from the original theme music to Seinfeld and Twin Peaks are created expressly as works of parody and do not imply claims to ownership of said music.